I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here we go. F1 Manager 2023 returns for a new season. Take your place on the pit wall and lead your officially licensed Formula One racing team to victory. Driving every decision across new cars, circuits and challenges. From Monaco to Monza, Silverstone to Spa and Viva Las Vegas. Rewrite history with a new race replay putting you in the hot seat of the toughest situations. F1 Manager 2023 out now on PC, PlayStation and Xbox. Hello and welcome to FFS, in association with F1 Manager 2023. I'm David Colthard and with me is a man who knows everything there is to know about managing a team in the cutthroat world of Formula One, Eddie Jordan. Now you've got the right man. Especially now we have a new partner, F1 Manager 2023. I think I might learn something from you. Do you think I should be their um, ambassador or something? Do you not think they should delve into their budget and see how much money is for you and for me on this? I, look, I'm doing this for the love, oh, and yeah. I see you. I see you as a sort of charitable <laughs> donation. You know, this is—it's not quite help the aged because I'm not that far behind you, yeah. but it's definitely—it's definitely got its challenges. I would like to have a penny for everyone you have. You've got bundles all stashed away. We know what you're like. Go on, you, you're a, a true Scot. You're very canny. Okay, okay. Well, look, moving on. Uh, we'll, we're digging a little deeper into your unique style as a team boss. But first, um, well, I should ask how you are, but more importantly for our listeners, where are you? Because we're, we're separated once again. I'm in Sota Grande with uh, seven grandchildren, all the family, um, and I always look forward to this. But when I'm actually in the middle of the holiday with them, I'm saying, what, have, what on earth have I allowed to happen? Because there's been parties and the kids are pulling you one way to another. And feeding time is kind of crazy because it's everything from 10-year-olds to nearly one-year-old. Um, but it is fun. It's part of our life, David. And uh, it's a very important aspect. Now, family is, uh, is a big, big thing for you. And amazingly, actually, you, you've managed to find the balance between being extremely busy uh, initially as a team principal and now latterly as an entrepreneur, whilst maintaining very close links with the family and then seeing the grandkids coming along. Well, Marie has a very favourite saying. When people say to her, Jesus, Marie, how on earth did you stay 46 years married to this man? And she said, I have a little secret. He's been away a lot and he <laughs> continues to be away a lot. And that is her way of getting, getting around me and sort of... Uh, I don't think she could put up with me on a permanent basis, that is for sure. Yeah, look, I've always maintained when people ask me, what's Eddie Jordan really like? And I, I always say, in small doses, he's fantastic. Thank you, David. I'll take that as a compliment. I'm not sure that's how you mean it, though. 
Oh, well, anyway, at this point of the show, you normally tell us one of your celebrity stories. And if you haven't got one, you usually make one up. Yeah. But I do know, because I, I had a little briefing before we came on, that the reason I'm seeing you with an incredible setup of a beautiful microphone there. Your celebrity story is the very equipment that you're using right well, now. Well, you rightly say that. The person who probably created most of the modern-day success of podcasting is none other than Vogue Williams, an Irish girl, model, mother, television star. She's, she's now with Spencer Matthews and has been and has three magnificent, gorgeous kids. And they are our neighbours here in Sorte Grande. So at a party the other night, I said, listen, I'm sort of, they've just landed something on me with David Coulthard. Would you have any podcast recording equipment that I could borrow? And so she arrived this morning, complete with all of the equipment, um, and I sat them down, and we will actually hear maybe a little bit about them, but um, I wouldn't let her away without actually being part of our show. Now, I tell you, she does not hold back. She goes for it. So, David, uh, my big guest today, it's a bit of a strange one, really, because I'm so honoured, I'm so pleased, because this person is a female, number one, and number two, she comes from my own county, the county of Dublin in Ireland, and none better, the queen of all of the podcasts. We're aspiring to try and get like her. Ladies and gentlemen, Vogue Williams, Vogue. Thank you very much for having me. What a welcome that was. I know that I did a program many, maybe 15 years ago with you in Cheltenham and the horse races, which yeah. is like a festival for Irish people, effectively, in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. And when I saw and heard, and actually Zoe was the one who pointed out what you do on this podcast. I mean, this is quite phenomenal, what, the success it has. I actually, you know, I've known you for, for my whole life, I feel, because my dad was a big motor racing fan. Oh, and so hear that. DC, was, are you listening? Your daughter Zoe. Oh, my God, I'm so obsessed with her. Um. I met Zoe years ago, but no, the podcast has gone really well. Joanne and I love doing it and we are going, we are on tour actually. Yeah. I'm about to take Spenny on tour. You've dragged him along with you. Now, not just today, but in the show and he has a podcast of his own. Is he trying to jump up on your back? Well, not literally, but I, do you know what I mean? Is he trying to well, yes, carry him? Is, Most yeah. evenings, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spencer, this is a family show. Will you please have a bit of respect for our adoring fans and the listeners that are out there? Spencer may not remember this, but he was a young boy. And uh, we had a driver called Ralph Furman. And um, the Spencers uh, and the family, most people will know him for the hotel that they have in St. Bart's. Um, but surprisingly, Spencer has a brother called James, who was probably one of the best drivers who never pursued his career. He was an absolute fantastic talent. Come on, you tell me, why did he not continue, Spencer? Um, God, you'd have, you'd have to ask him. Uh, and he very rarely answers questions about himself. But he... He, 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 was, he was Formula 3 world champion, Formula Renault world champion. Uh, he won 20 out of 21 races uh, in, in a single season. He's got the same record as Alain Prost uh, in, in Formula 3. Uh, was, was a fine talent. And um, I don't know. I, th I think in his eyes and his mind uh, at the time, if you're, not, like, if you're not on the podium consistently in Formula 1, uh, that wouldn't be the kind of career that he would have wanted. And I, I suspect he saw... Uh, risk involved, you know, there's lots of incredibly talented drivers, um, you know, nowadays, but also back then. And I think he wanted a bit more security stability, I suppose, in, in finance. For those people out there, he has married successfully, brilliantly family with uh, Pippa Middleton. So um, that the whole family are in a Absolutely amazing, right from the father, the mother, all the way down. And um, uh, they financially helped Ralph, uh, Ralph Furman to come and drive for Jordan in Formula One. But uh, Spencer, while you're here, I can't 
let you uh, leave me without, you know, the documentary you did for your brother. Yeah, so he, he was the youngest Brit uh, back in 99 to summit Mount Everest and had some complications on the way down and was unfortunately uh, lost. And, and we made an attempt to recover him uh, last year, just over a year ago now. It's called Finding Michael. And it was a real, it was a really exciting kind of thing for, for me to get stuck into and for me to make. Um, it was, you know, one of the most memorable times of my life. Difficult to be away from Vogue and the kids, you know, for, for that for that period of time and couldn't have done it without her incredible support. Um, but when we were talking about it initially, uh, she was one of the kind of strongest voices saying that this is something we have to, we, we had to do. And, you know, Vogue has, has always felt quite close uh, to the idea of Michael, I think, you know, there's pictures of Michael over our house and being at base camp for just under five weeks was probably one of the more emotional times in my life. I'm just so delighted that the film was so well received. And if you haven't watched it, please find it on Disney+. Plus. Um, talking about families and things like that, I'm just coming back to Vogue for a second. We had a little party called the White Party the other night, and we saw you guys there dancing and jumping around. And, and what I like about it was everybody singing the Fields of Aten Rye, the Irish songs and the various songs. But um, tell us a little bit, but what was the thing that struck you most about the party? Well, what struck me most is that it's unfortunate for you because I'm going back next year. It was so much crack. It was just so much fun. A really, really great group of people and the singing. That guy that you had singing. For those people out there who can remember the Easy Beats, he was one of the members of the Easy Beats way back in the early 60s. Um, so he's still, he's living in Spain and he does these gigs. Doesn't he? Unbelievable. He makes everything just rock. I just thought the party was so much fun. We were there dancing away. To, and I'm not even much of a dancer, but we just had such a laugh. My sister probably more than anyone else. We had to uh, help her home <laughs> from the castle. I'll tell you what, you, you, have a, you have a sister who's well able to rock. She is absolutely on fire. I promise you, the two of you, when you were dancing together, I said... Jesus, save us. It's somebody above there come down and going to take us away. Anyway, Davis, uh, enough is enough. I could go on here for about two years because um, when Irish people start talking in this kind of Dublin accent, uh, and if you notice, my accent has probably changed as according to this, but um, it, it's just synonymous with what goes on. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, great honor. Thanks so much, Eddie. Cheers, mate. Thank you, guys. That was oh, that's great. Listen, I'm overjoyed. Moving on from you uh, hijacking equipment from uh, Vogue Williams, we have friends at F1 Manager of 2023 and having, they've just launched their new game this week, which allows you, I, and the general public, of course, to step into the shoes of a modern day team principal. Now, you had your own management style and it may be different today, it may not, but I thought it would be really useful to sort of share with the audience what actually is the role of a team principal beyond sitting on the Pratt's perch, doing the interviews, maybe being the guy that decides and who's actually driving, although sometimes I guess it's it's somebody else that makes that decision. But, you know, give us a sort of Monday to Friday of being a team principal. My fundamental job was to make sure that we had enough funding to bring the team to every race and to go forward and to try and compete to the end of the season. Because uh, you, you, there's no point being a, a bankrupt hero. There's no point. Bernie always used to say you can only ever spend the money once. And, and that's exactly the situation. So uh, I spent, I suppose, 70% of my working day trying to either allocate budgets to various things. And I always had the fundamental first question I always asked myself, 
when people would ask me, oh, can I have this and can I have that and can I have a budget extra for that? Why or how will the car go quicker as a result of this spend? And if they can't make a justifiable reason, so if it's from some marketing thing or some advertising or something, that always comes secondary, always to the performance of the car. And that's how I basically ran it. I did and was a very tough manager by that. Uh, I felt it was my money, my team, my family, so therefore I needed to protect it. But I did also try to have a, a very significant smattering of love uh, and affection inside that. So in other words, yes, I loved the people and I, I wanted them to love the team and to love me to some respect, but that wasn't necessarily important. What was important was to making sure sure that uh, the team survived so it's different now because team principals nowadays um, they are custodians they're they're acting for some big group or they were acting for some major industrial group that owns these teams um, whereas in my day I owned the team myself and you know whether it was Walkinshaw whether it was Frank Williams or Ron Dennis or that that's how the structure it's, so it's fun it's not fair to compare the two different eras um, and if you look at a good team manager now he really has very little to do with the budget um, because it's done by by accountants and stuff so that's how that's how it varies. So it's fascinating, isn't it? All the very different personalities that were around when, when you were a team principal. I guess there is still, you know, Christian's got a different personality. Toto, Gunter, of course, is sort of larger than life character and, and a slightly successful team right now. But was there, was there a sort of common thread in, in your experience behind all of the weird and wonderful personalities? So DC, I'm going to reverse that little question because I think it's quite important for me to understand because you've had some absolutely outstanding, great people. You know, with Christian, you've been there and you know what Ron was like and, and even Frank. So come on, you tell us what you think of the team principles that you had. Well, incredible uh, different personalities. And, you know, there was the obvious um, disability that Sir Frank had to deal with and overcome. And it just, it was so inspiring to see how the power of his mind was ultimately the power of his leadership skills. And he, like you, really gave young drivers uh, an opportunity. Many uh, young, inexperienced drivers from Formula 3, Formula 3000 were given the role of test driver. And it was a way of him learning about whether they were good enough. And it was also a way of him seeking out the, you know, the future talents. But um, Frank was, was a racer through and through, and I always really respected that. Ron, as you know, meticulous in his preparation and the way he operated and his expectations of the team. But when, when crossed, um, you, you, know, you had to obviously be respectful of the fact that he'd done the hard yards. I remember in 98, uh, when we had a particularly quick car, I, I spun off in Barcelona at turn four uh, during free practice. And as you know, and our listeners who follow Formula One will know that the holy grail for the photographer is a picture from underside the car because the underside generates a lot of the, the downforce. So I uh, got stuck in the gravel, was on the radio. The team manager at the time, Dave Ryan, said, come back to the pits. So I got out of the car and headed back to the pits. And when I get there, Ron comes off the pit wall because the practice session's still ongoing. And he goes, why didn't you stay with the car? Which was a way of the driver making sure photographers didn't get too close to it and all that sort of thing. And my sort of slightly childish response was, ask your team manager, because clearly he hadn't been listening to what the instructions of the team manager was. And uh, anyway, the, the session finished. And then about... 10 minutes or so before 
the start of uh, the next free practice session, uh, Dave Ryan came to me and said, we have to go and see Ron. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm in the car in a few minutes. And he was like, no, you don't understand. We have to go and see Ron. So we went to his office in the motorhome and he, he sat there kind of moving papers around, making sure everything's aligned, gathering his thoughts. And he then goes off on one where he's going, when I ask you, why are you not with the car? You don't say to me, ask your team manager. You, you know, don't leave the car in the first place. Those are the rules of engagement. We've discussed this, blah, da, da, da. Anyway, he goes on for several minutes and then eventually stops. And I'd already been briefed by Dave Ryan that not to say anything. So I'm not saying anything. And he gets to the end and he goes, have you got nothing to say? And I just sat there kind of going, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Because I've been told not to say anything. But what I wanted to say was, are you finished? Because whilst he's going through the, the ramble, practice has started. So can you imagine the Grand Prix cars are out practicing? My car's in the garage because I'm getting a bollocking for not staying with the car at the previous session. So uh, I eventually say, no, nothing to say. Sorry, Ron. And I eventually go back and get in the car and go testing. But it, it showed he waited in the the last moment to give me the bollocking. And even though it was going to cost the team some track time, he knew it was going to really (laughs) resonate with me as a driver that I was missing uh, being out on the racetrack. So that was was an unusual one. Uh, Christian was always, uh, I think, very firm but fair. I I think I may have recalled this once before, where he only ever lost his, lost his, uh, spilt his chips or flipped his chips, whatever the expression is, once when uh, Mark and I were fighting over points in China. And uh, he had to sort of have a very firm chat with the two of us back in the debrief after the Grand Prix. But otherwise, uh, he he was you know fairly straightforward in, in his approach and his expectations. But I, I can imagine you flipping your chips with your drivers. Yeah, but David, you disobeyed an order. You were told to let Mark by and you wouldn't do it because... I mean, I was quicker. No, you weren't. I had newer tires. He would not. He would not have made that instruction. Christian Horner is far too clever for that. You're making up stories. Mark Webber was asked to pass you, and you wouldn't let him. You know, I ended up overtaking Kovalainen and McLaren and getting the final point, Uh, and Mark was behind him. Don't try and muffle it up. I suppose and we also shouldn't forget this, but Christian has a massive machine behind him with accountants, planners, uh, programmers, people who control the budget, and he says what he needs. He has to justify it, of course, and he would have somebody who prepared that document with him in consultation at board meetings, etc. But he doesn't have to pay for it, and he doesn't have to take that risk. He knows his salary is safe and stuff like that, and he's doing a sensational job. So I think there is a benefit there for him over Toto, whereas Toto owns a chunk of that team. So therefore, he has a financial implication in there. So the less amount of money that the team makes means the less of money that Toto earns. Or if you like, if you're working on an EBITDA basis where you you see what the overall profit at the end of the year and then you have a multiple that people work out solutions as to what the valuation of that team is so Toto's investment in the Mercedes fluctuates and for example Gunter and Christian don't have that problem but they don't have the upside so if it's very successful they're not they're not parting the gravy apart from the normal bonus system that they would have within their contract. Is it something do you think, two questions actually, do you think it's something that Christian would 
would would sort of niggle him if you like in that his his success is is very much sort of salary driven rather than as you just mentioned there with with Toto Wolf um having equity in the business and when you look back second question on when you sold Jordan Grand Prix the the value of formula 1 generally obviously was much smaller sure. so do you look at it and go god if i'd only hung in there another decade yeah but you can say that all your life about you know if, if i was born in um 2000 or something like that i mean for example take your son um does he know what it's like for the grief and the carting and all of the the tough times that you went through to get to where you are um and it's the same thing for my children and particularly the grandchildren sometimes they don't necessarily see but that's a very negative way of looking at life i had the most unbelievable upbringing yes it was extremely tight in terms of uh, monetary funding and things being able to do we just didn't have money but it didn't cause any pain um i'm still here i'm having uh, the time of my entire life this has been a magic you know i'm just we've said it so many times in the program about being so lucky and um i am the epitome of that that's exactly where i feel i am so first of all you must never feel bitter and um the second thing i would say is when you sell something or you do something the irish style was always leave something on the table for the next guy and we did do that um because it gives them luck and it gives you luck uh, or that's the philosophy behind it i'm sure that's not actually true but it's just a question of it's it's a normal thing to do and um people often ask me what was the most unbelievable most successful or the thing that stands out most in your life and it's nothing to do with winning it's nothing to do with pole positions it's all to do with survival uh, and to survive formula 1 as a private single individual family marie and i uh, and that was it we took the risks we went to see the bank managers we made promises that we knew we couldn't fulfill but we managed to get through it. Yes, it was fun now looking back, but Jesus it was far from fun at the time. Now, the great thing about the teams at the moment, if you look at the likes of Ferrari and if you look at the Red Bull and you look at everyone else, um they have a different structure and the structure is coming from big time investment, big institutional investments and they are not those those 10 teams that are there are likely to be there forever because they have the funding necessary to bring them there. Okay, well just coming back on one thing you said, um and I'd like to sort of delve a bit deeper in if I may. When you say about leaving something on the table for the next person, well, you know, I've seen you leave a half-eaten cheese sandwich and a dirty coffee cup on the table very often. Um, I I assume you mean you leave some insight or information or financial incentive for for you know, what what actually are you leaving on the table? Well, actually that leads me on to a, a nice little story. involves a, a, an Irishman and I've just actually the second thought this up and this is a particularly appropriate he thought moment. it up listeners he didn't make it up I went to spa uh in 98 the, the weekend that you will remember and um, a very good friend Tony Gallagher took a lift uh with the Benetton team he was kind of close to us but he walked up the paddock and he told me that his poor dad had died and his dad when he was dying he said listen son I'm not going to need this anymore and he he gave him a, a, a little wadge of of money and this man Tony Tony Gallagher gave me the money he gave me 520 pound notes to bring me luck and this is a very Irish thing so he gave and I said to him Tony I can't keep this and I don't want it but I am going to sign each note so if you don't give it to somebody else uh, it's my money and you're the custodian of this So I gave him back the the 520s 
And um, three hours later, he came to me, he said, Jesus, that's the best look money ever. Because as you will well know, David, I finished first and second. And that is a true story that Tony Gallagher gave me the money before the race. Now, that is very typically Irish. So when you sell your cattle at a market, you will always either the minder of the cattle, you might only give them, it used to be a gold sovereign in the years gone by or a little note and stuff. And it actually grew up to a fiver or a tenner or something like that. It, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It's just the fact that it's, you're leaving something for the next guy. And it's, it, it's, it's just a way of recognizing this is going to give you some luck. Okay. Well, fair enough, EJ. I'll, I'll take you, I'll take you at your word on that. I, I don't remember you ever offering me a gold sovereign or a, a five quid note or a tenner. But Actually, David, have, I never did business ever... with you. It was your, your biggest ever blessing that you didn't have to succumb to the Jordan way of life. You would have been skint. But as I've said it many times before, you would have been a much stronger personality in terms of racing and you might have got a lot more success because you were just, you just, it was all about how you looked and how much money you had. It wasn't about the points that you had. You should have had more points, David. <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, coming back then to former team owner, team principal Eddie Jordan's vision for my career, I, I did ask you. I should never have asked you two questions in one. Uh, but coming back to the one where uh, the fact that Toto has skin in the game, shareholder yeah. at Mercedes and Christian, as, as you mentioned, is is on a salary there. Um, do you do you think that's something that? would tweak Christian in some way or disappoint him? Or is it just the way it works sometimes? Um, it is just a way to work. It's the contract that he sought. Some people like to have um, share options in their contractual, but that could never apply to this because Red Bull is a, a private family-owned and run business and that's how they operate. Um, Toto is different. He has invested money. He sold part of the team to Mercedes. Um, so he kept some of his shareholding in there. It was with Nicky as well. I don't know what's happened to Nicky's share, but I think it's probably quite a split. Um, so therefore, I think that they are both different. Christian should not feel in any way bitter because I think he's earning particularly great money. And I think the thing that he doesn't have to worry about the finances too much has been a benefit to him and a benefit to Red Bull Racing because uh, Christian can devote all his time to the areas that he feels can improve the team. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it's well known, but Christian before he started with Red Bull, came to Jordan with an effort to try and buy Jordan with money from Hong Kong. It didn't materialize for him, but he had in his mind a view to actually taking over the ownership of a team with other outside source investments. I think that was a benefit that he he's now glad that he didn't do because what he's doing is achieving, I mean, this is one of the most biggest purple patches for a race team in the motor racing history, what Red Bull are doing. And we saw that with Michael, of course, uh, in Ferrari. But, you know, so, as soon as Todd left and Michael left, Ferrari has been nowhere. And that won't be the case with Red Bull, because even in your day, Red Bull, when they started, were on, on a massive learning curve and a massive successful curve. Christian is part of that and he gets the glory from that. I don't think he, he is or should be in any way uh, discouraged by the fact that he doesn't have skin in the game because that doesn't mean naturally that you're going to be successful and Toto could lose money as part of the investment just as easy as he could gain it. However, I'm sure that's not the case, but that's how business works. And I think probably Christian is better off where he is. 
Okay. Well, you mentioned Ferrari there, which makes me think if you were to take over one of the the teams right now as a team principal, um, and you know Ferrari are going through some difficult times right now, um, so would would you accept that role? And and what would the the sort of things you would change? How would you go about getting their mojo back? Ferrari is a, a particularly um, uh, unique situation. And yes, if I was the boss there, I would create, without doubt, something um, the way that Michael created. Michael Schumacher went there. He brought Rory Bond, Byrne. He brought Pat Simmons. He brought Jean Todd. And they were the nucleus. And he did also have uh, our previous guest, Stefano Domenicali. Sure, he was Italian, but he could see that it wasn't working for him. And he left and went to Lamborghini. And he's now obviously totally in charge of, of Liberty and the Formula One program. He's taken over the Bernie Eccleston role. Um, so I'm saying to Ferrari... You have absolutely, in my opinion, slightly got uh, the, 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 the pecking order wrong because you have brilliant guys on that perch, as you rightly say, Dave. brilliant engineers who are able to design great engines, design great cars. But it's the finer details to making that race car into a winning car. That's the difference. And I think you need People who have gone through the Formula 4, the karting, the Formula 3, the 3000 or whatever it is, because what's happening, they're appointing people who don't have the inner knowledge and the experience and, 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 and the recall rate that they can think about. What did I do in Formula 3 when that happened? What did I do there? What did I do? And they're making silly mistakes, which is affecting the team. I'm sorry, I'd be really quite brutal if I was in Ferrari, but I big-headedly think that I would actually turn it around a bit. But, you know, I think just Ferrari is the one that jumps out at you. They, they, they just are not performing to the level or the expectation that people either want them to do or the people that we know that they can do. And um, they're a brilliant outfit, but they're different. They stop for lunch for an hour and a half. I just, you know, just the whole philosophy of the place is... Oh, uh, don't get me on my high horse. Remember how they got very good. They got very good when John Barnard designed the car for them, but it was designed and made in Britain. Most of the car, 90% of the car was made in England, and um, they need to start thinking about going back to that method. Well, Eddie, I think that's all we've got time for for this week. So I'd like to thank you. As oh. always, it's great not to be in the same room as you. Uh, and to thank Vogue Williams and her husband, Spencer Matthews, for joining the show and for ultimately allowing us all to hear your crazy Irish voice uh, so beautifully. I, I, actually, you, you almost sound angelic using that microphone. I am. We, can David, we it, you it brings out the worst in me. I mean, I don't know what it is. It, the, the Scots and the Irish, although they do get on quite well, we pretend not to, but we do. Yeah, absolutely. Right, what are you up to this weekend? Uh, you got any plans for the rest of the summer break? Well, um, I'd love to get back on the boat, but I'm finishing off a uh, bit of time here with the kids. And um, so the next time I'll see them will be in fair old Dublin City for Christmas. Um, that's the plan, and we're talking family-wise as to what we should consider doing next uh, next summer and indeed the year after. So uh, I'm planning for life after maybe the time that I'm not able to get around. But I'm just making sure that the kids think that I'm still thinking about living past the next number of years. That, that is incredible, actually. You remind me of my parents because they have holidays booked like three, four years in advance. Why not? I, I, well, because how, how do you know what you're going to 
want to do or want to feel. You know, I, I don't book a holiday until a few weeks before. No, but you, you're going off then to a beach or somewhere where they're doing nightclubs until about seven in the morning or six in the morning. They have day clubs. They I'm have. not going anywhere <laughs> with, where I can be not in close contact with a club. I don't believe a word of that. Well, if anyone of the listeners are in Ibiza, then uh, I'll see you at DC 10 for the uh, <laughs> afternoon session. Anyway, so thank you to all the listeners who won't be in Ibiza. Uh, keep sending in your emails to ffs at whisper.tv and you can follow us at F1 for success. And we'll be back next week. And that's yet another win for the team under this ambitious team principle. Create history in F1 Manager 23 by leading your officially licensed Formula 1 team of choice to glory. Or rewrite it with Race Replay putting you in the hot seat of the biggest incidents and challenges of the 2023 season. F1 Manager 23, out now on PC, PlayStation and Xbox.